Hello, and welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read through every Pulitzer Prize winning play since 1918. So you don't have to, or so you'll join along and read with us. This week, we are reading 1952's uh, psychological drama set in a psychiatric facility, The Shrike, by Philadelphia's own Joseph Cram. Um, Famous for not much. A else. strike. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but before we get started with that, my name is Josh Heron. I am a teacher, uh, theater critic, dog dad, uh, American. Um, and I am joined by fellow American and uh, theater maker, John Rosenberg. Hello. And um, and non. I don't appreciate this uh, anti-immigrant bigotry from you, Josh. Um, and uh, and uh, resident Brit Christopher Munden. Hello. Hello. Good night, chat. Hello, Gab. <laughs> um, I may have lived in america longer than you've been alive no that's very much not true is it <laughs> that'd be a really big cell phone it would wouldn't it um all right does someone want to give um a brief summary of the shrike i'll give it a shot and yeah. then you guys can yeah. fill in the blanks afterwards uh the shrike tells the story of a theater director named gm uh the play takes place in a psychiatric hospital. Uh, when w the play starts, it is we come lights up on a psychiatric ward and there's a little action and the, the play starts with the notification that a man has attempted suicide and that they're bringing him in. His name is Jim, he's a theater maker. Uh, his wife is there as well. Uh, as the play develops over, it's a three act play and what we really are witnessing is a man being institutionalized and his grip on reality and the people that love him trying to either save him or control him. And the play is really, uh, even though there, you meet some of the characters that make up the, the hospital, the true drama of the play is between the husband and wife. Uh, the husband's name is Jim. The wife's name is, I forget, and I think. And the devil. And right. Uh, and the, the play is really uh, the, we start with him entering the psychiatric hospital and we learn why he did it. We learn, uh, you know, information as to whether it's true or not, how he feels and how despondent he is about his life. He is separated from his wife. And uh, it is made clear that the only way for him to get out of the psychiatric hospital is by reuniting with his wife. And uh, the play basically ends with him. His brother comes to see him and basically says, look, dude, the only way you're getting out of here is if you reconcile with your wife uh, or otherwise you're gonna stay in here for the rest of your life. And so he reconciles with his wife and is able to leave. And it ends on a terrible note of it's like basically a stage direction of Jim basically 
leaves one prison to enter another. Yeah, knowing he is exchanging one evil for another. Yeah. Um, I, I saw it as hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> it has a, a really good three-act structure. I was getting that from the summary. Like, the first act is, you know, he's committed and... Um, he doesn't realize he's in a mental hospital and Anne is really kind. And at the end, he's put in like a permanent ward. And the, and the second act, he's there and you realize like she is keeping him there. And the third act, he realizes that he has to play the game to get out. Like I thought, I read it act by act, but I thought like different things after each act. And I really liked that that structure yeah i think this play is um is i think the plot of the play is its strength i think it, it's really well plotted it's yeah of, the structure as much as the plot yeah yeah i mean i think it's um i think it's interesting to come back to this you know south pacific was sort of a uh a what its own thing <laughs> um but you know if we're looking at just the the straight plays right you had um you had State of the Union, which is weird, but then you had Streetcar Named Desire and Harvey. There is like a, some themes of um, like psychology coming out of the mm-hmm. 40s and 50s. But you have Harvey, you have um, Streetcar Named Desire, which ends in institutionalization, and Death of a Salesman, where um, you know Willie Loman is not institutionalized, but he he does commit suicide, um, like uh, Jim attempted to. Um, so there's sort of this like mid-century uh, ennui that we're being uh, we're being exposed to right now. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I think definitely in comparison to the Miller and the Williams, you know, the language of the play and the the sort of psychological depths of the play um, is not there. But I think it is a very um, it's a very captivating play. It's um, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a I mean I think the like it's sort of in terms of its thoughtfulness or what it has to say it's like sort of like equivalent to like being stoned at 17 and like what if we're all crazy man like wow who's knows you know i mean i think it's basically thesis is that like people who are in um who are like sort of wards of the state um are put in these positions that would make anyone really volatile and really frustrated and uh so like we shouldn't be surprised i think there's a bit of a like this could happen to you um thing that i think is makes it sort of thrilling to watch and i can see why an audience would like it um but definitely of less like you know i i i'm not surprised that this has not made it into like theatrical canon in the way some of the other plays have Oh, it's a Philadelphia play. We should have seen it on Philly stages, surely. I mean, I think the, uh, we'll come back to this, but I think the other reason probably why it hasn't, um, I think there's actually two reasons why it hasn't. <laughs> the misogyny? Well, the misogyny is huge. And I, but I think the other reason is, like, I really wonder about the legacy of this play had One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest not been written. Oh, right? yeah. It feels yeah. like that. Like, the second act especially is One, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, isn't yeah. it? I feel like it just sort of, like, there was, like, a better version of this that got sort of... Um, yeah. Joe, what do you have to say about the play? Um, I found it, like, deeply troubling in a lot of ways. Um, 
I think the, the structure and all that that you're talking about, that is interesting, but I didn't, I didn't find it, I didn't find it structurally that uh, compelling to me. Um, I, I just mean, thought more was, neat than compelling, right? I need, you know, it's fun. Yeah, I guess. But I almost think of it as a self-contained system. To me, it's a very personal play about a playwright who really has a fucking ax to grind. Mm. Like in, it was troubling to me in a lot of ways that like, I think in a way the writing of it got in the way of my experience of it. Um, just in the sense that like, you know, it's a, a director who had one hit and then it never really happened for him again. Um, and like, I just feel like there's a lot because like in real life, the playwright, this was his first hit. He had written like a number of plays before this, but this is the first one that really like hit hit. And like, well, I guess he was a somewhat successful actor and director, but this was his only playwriting hit. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, go on. No, no, no I, it, I, think, I think it's interesting that like what the play, what it says is like this guy was in combat World War II and he, he really just mentions it in passing. <laughs> and like the trauma of that is nothing compared to, you know, <laughs> being, being in a controlling being, marriage. Being, being a theater director that got passed over <laughs> and like. Oh, that. And, and I think it's strange that like we never and meet have, the woman, we never yeah. meet the woman Charlotte that like he is now in love with, um, and like, right? I, I, I do wonder about the audiences. Uh, you know, back in 1952, they're um, them witnessing this play. It might it might have been different. I don't know, but like this one, oof! This this was this is a woof woof for me. I mean. I mean oh, I just to... just a biographical part of it. Like I don't know about you guys, but I find myself googling him because the fact that it is a, a theater maker and he's committed, but it's because of his lack of success. And like it naturally invites a question of like what of this is autobiographical? And see, I don't really think of it as that autobiographical because within the play the the depth of emotions that people experience really isn't there or like the explanations, you know, at some point Jim talks about, you know, I have a new breezy. I brought her over for dinner and she's like, why don't you hook me up with some dessert? And I didn't have enough money for dessert. And that makes me, that made me want to kill myself. Like uh, that know, could be autobiographical. I don't know. You've never been in that right, situation. But like his, what was his plan? His plan was, because of my GI, you know, because of my GI bill, I could kill myself, and then my wife gets my insurance money. Where have we heard that plot before? <laughs> right, maybe. Right, that dude was in the audience of. He was watching Death of the Sales and was like, "I gotta write this shit down." But I like, wish I, I wish I had written that shit. <laughs> oh, I can. Um, I guess one point I do want to make though, and I, I thought this was like, um, I think. In some ways I find this the most interesting World War II play of the ones we've read. Um, I Street Kingdom Desire has this too. Um, we also read, me and Chris read All My Son. Oh, I guess we've all read All My Sons or experienced yeah. All My Sons. I think that's a, that is like my favorite World War II play, but that wasn't yeah. closer. 
But I do think it's not just that he went to war and then he got thrashed as director, but he connects it, right? It's that he lost this prime of his life, right? That like, mm. that he would have been successful. Had oh he yeah, that's right, I forgot. Right, right, uh, right. And I, I do think that, like, I do think that there is this like, um, melancholy of like, of, of uh, you know, I think, especially now we think- Almost like the second lost generation, right? Right, we think of that generation as this like group that like patriotically and stoically like did their duty and came back and like and um you know and they were happy to serve. I don't think we gave a lot of stories about like from World War Two specifically about like having to go to this fight and being resentful of, of something you've lost. Mm-hmm. No, I think we're getting a much more like full picture of of that post-World War II time or like how that war was seen in a few of these plays, State of the Union and this. I mean, not to, not to quibble, I think the danger is there was like a very beautiful movie that was right after World War II that won the best picture, which was, I think it was called The Time of Our Lives, mm-hmm. um, which portrays like three uh, soldiers coming back from the war and like one of them has lost both of his hands and he has mm-hmm. hooks for hands. Mm-hmm. So... I don't, you know, I'm not trying to discount. Is that played for comic effect? Your version of it, yes. Um, but it, I, I think it does, it, I, I believe it uses it as a, as a cultural touchstone, but mm-hmm. I don't think it necessarily uses it for an actual understanding. And, I, and that, to me is, that to me is the danger, is like, I, I feel like a lot of, you know, a lot of the idea of noir after World War II was like this idea of the man that sacrificed everything returning to women that either fucked them over or double-crossed them. Do you know what I mean? And there's, dang, there's just something, there's, I, there's just something very dangerous to me in the imagination of the idea of this man being controlled by a woman. Oh, yeah. I mean, the massage in this play is really, I, I guess, yeah, that's like the first, I mean, I think the first thing a modern reader takes away from this play is like, wow, this guy hates women. Um, and but not, I mean, it could be a specific like this, women. Right? Not to say like this, I don't have a problem with misogyny in like theater or like the portrayal of it, but like there really is nothing else to it. Cause the man is like, I've given her everything, but we've fallen out of love and I'm trying to be with Charlotte now. And like, yeah, I mean, I think at times I felt like I wish the play was slightly different. And I, I, I guess this is, I mean, and this is sort of beside the point because I, I didn't write it and I can't change it. But I almost wish that the playwright gave more room for the actors and the audience to interpret. Um, yeah, yeah you, would, like, you would like to see a production where Anne was like completely in the right because like this guy's a dick. Right, or at least we're like, and I, I think you could make cuts and stuff, but it's not the play he wrote. He like, the player, Joseph Cran has a very specific idea of, of who these characters are. But like, when I was reading the third act, I was like trying to turn off what I knew a little bit. And was like, oh, if this was like taming of, the ending of Taming of the Shrew, where like, you don't totally know, like, is Catherine tamed or is she like making a joke on him? Like, and I found I mean, that- you didn't feel that at all? I kind of did feel that, that like, I, like I, I, the third act saved it for me in a way because last, the last stage direction, even if he'd like, 
packed off of the stage direction though, but it's so clear that this character is bullshitting and knows he's going to be like trapped. He doesn't feel like he feels, even if his aunt is in the right, I don't think like, I, I just right. think there was like a potential for him to have like, for us to like not be sure if he fell in love or not, not like right. anything was left to ambiguity, but nothing is left to ambiguity. Right. Cause I the guess. brother shows up and it's like, Hey everyone, <laughs> this is how, this is what the the conflict in the play is. Will you fucking act like you love her to get out of here or not? Because that's the only way you're getting out of here. But I expected the third act after reading the second to be like like misery, the the Stephen King book movie where like it just like she drives him further and further into the ground and it's just like him like like uh like wow, it's slowly revealed like what a bitch Anne is, and it didn't go. It didn't go that way. It went to like I saw it almost like an analogy for like our existence. Like we're born in a hotel room after we, you know, we shouldn't be alive to begin with. We like, what the hell are we doing here? Why are we here? And then like. Um, you kind of rebel against it. You you want to like, you don't want it to be this way. And in the end, you just have to like accept it. And like, this is how life is. And, and you play by the rules and that's the way you get by. I mean, I almost think he accidentally wrote like a meaningful, like beautiful play. But it, it's like, he, he well, how, honey, honey, honey uh, in America, that's not how we work in America, baby. Chris, how do you feel about your mom? He loves his mother. I love my mother very much. Yeah. Wow. And actually, real quick as a sidebar, we're coming up on the anniversary of his mother saying one of the funniest fucking things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you can edit this out, but you know, in honor of Thanksgiving, Chris and his mom stopped by uh, my mother-in-law's house on Thanksgiving, and my mom and my older brother were there. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about uh, his mother, Chris's mother mentioned something about all those idiots who love to go out Black Friday shopping. Mm-hmm. And my mother and my older brother, like, actually, we were about to go out Black Friday shopping. And she, without, uh, without missing a beat, was like, well, wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same? Oh. <laughs> it was so good. Sorry. But let me say, I think the danger is that within this play, there's, there's a connection to actual um emotions that i recognize i understand those feelings of either that, being like, trapped in the marriage sure being missing an opportunity or like being trapped in things and so the danger to me is taking those actual valid emotions and making something shitty that you have complete control over to like feeling control and i thought that was the danger of this play i mean I- I also think, I mean, while we're on the note of dangers of this play, um, like ignoring the whole history of psychiatric health and how like a lot of these places were designed um, to control women. um, Right. Very explicitly. And it'd be very different if like he was being, he was a woman being um, committed for hysteria. Right. but also then to think about the women during this time who's like, who like were forced into really like crazy abusive situations by people that probably were mentally unstable or like traumatized from the war and like didn't have, like it, it's just such a, like 
it's such a backwards and messed up like portrayal of like the opposite of reality. Right. And the audience is like forced to root for They're not forced him. to they're they are encouraged and are encouraged shown. to. They're yeah. encouraged and it's just like big torches leading the way towards being like fuck that bitch. Yeah. I don't know about you. When I was reading it, I was reading Anne and being like, you know this is based on someone and she she was probably in the right and nowhere near as bad. <laughs> nowhere this near guy as was bad. a degenerate alcoholic piece of shit. Right. I, I think actually that's the way you, like, I think, so if you're going to do this play and not, and make it, this is going into like my dream production. So I think the way to do this play now and not change a word, right? So you're not going to like, so not cut scenes, is right. you, you start the play, like you make it clear that like, he's writing this play after this experience. And so like the entire thing is from his mind. And then mm-hmm. the distortions in reality are like, like I, like if you're gonna, if this play is like, a, if, if this play is coming from the mind of this person who is maybe ill, but also deeply resentful and deeply bitter, then the portrayal of this character as in such like a ungenerous way um, might be more uh, interesting. So yeah, make make it so Charlotte doesn't even exist, really. Let, let me ask this: Did this beat the Crucible? Oh, I fucking hope no! It didn't. It didn't. Um, but what? I, and the reason I ask is because I feel like there is an interesting, like there, there's a reading of it, you know, mostly with all the witch hunt shit going on at the same time in America. Mm-hmm. This idea of there's only one way to think, there's only one way to act, and any deviation from that is either un-American mm. or unpatriotic. And what's weird to me is it seems to completely not be interested in that at all. You know, because in a sense, I feel like the Crucible, I mean, it's a billion times fucking better, but it is about like control and paranoia and hysteria and, you know, deviation from the way everyone else thinks. And like, there is a reading of this play this way <laughs> yeah, just you just wrote about the House on American Committee. Yeah, so that was, was in nineteen fifty. What, what year? It was this year, was it? Uh, well, let's see. I think Eisenhower got elected in fifty-two. Yeah, that provided the majorities. So fifty-two, fifty-three. This was starting. Um, I my guess is given how like late the the pollsters are, is I think this was probably before that. But it, but that committee has been around in different iterations, you know, previous to nineteen fifty two. Right, and that that right. Senate permanent committee still exists and has is the oldest permanent committee, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Wait, that's I, crazy. I, I don't think I know this. The Senate uh, uh, McCarthy's committee. The uh, oh really? What is it called? The permanent committee on investigation on investigations. Oh, poor fellas. Um, <laughs> Um, the, the Crucible was written in 53. So it was either up so or... It didn't win. Yeah, no, I, I did look at that essay again because we also skipped the year, right? We skipped 1951. Yeah. And and I so I looked like why was that? And um, um, the one that was close was a dramatization of Herman Melville's Billy Budd. So real quick, um, but, when did, so Christopher, there's a novel that you love. What's it called? Um, Revolution. There's lots Road. of novels, uh, novels I love. Revolutionary, Revolutionary Road. Road, right? 
I don't know when that, I mean, it's set it around takes this place, time. It takes place around now. And I feel like it's that same idea of like, there's only, you know, stick with the way everyone else wants you to do it. Don't step out of line and shit like that. I, I mean, I, yeah, I said when we read Harvey, this seems to be like a, an idea that is, is in the forefront of this time. The idea that like about mental illness, like it's not, the it's not the person who's crazy it's the world that's crazy and revolutionary road does have like the son of a neighbor who is who is committed into a mental hospital i mean i wrote a thesis on catch 22 which is famously that right like uh, this touches upon it it almost accidentally because like it's right, like a, it is. a hate right. a hate letter to his wife. But <laughs> but it like it wife so, in a drunken yeah. driving accident. It is a it is like you can see like like he wrote a bunch of plays and this was the only one that was ever produced on Broadway and I do feel like like almost despite himself he wrote a good I enjoyed reading this. Like, I think I would have fun watching it, but I don't think it's a very good play. But like, beside, despite himself, he wrote like a Pulitzer Prize winning play. <laughs> Chris, who would you be in the play? <laughs> um, would I maybe be the uh, come on bro you're Jim bro I'm you're Jim I was going to say the guy who gets the cigarettes and stuff no you're no, Jim, you're Jim. and I'm alright All right. I'm Jim okay yeah. and you're married to me <laughs> <laughs> oh dear actually maybe who are you John a reading of a scene of the two of you Jim and Anne Oh, I would love that. I think I'd yeah, be. yeah, we could do that. Who would you be, John? Uh, I'm the Jew. You, you could be the Jew. You could also be like the uh, the like. Uh, who's the Who's the nurse in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest? Nurse Ratchet. Nurse Ratchet. Nurse Ratchet. There's like a Nurse Ratchet type character, isn't there? Yeah. Awesome. Right, there are touches, not, not to jump back into it, but there are interesting, we do get to learn the rules, in a sense, of like the institution, where right. seemingly you could trust people, you open up to them, they use it against you. Um, yeah, it is funny that this play would be really great as an allegory, and it just doesn't seem to be written as such. And to no. go back to the, weirdly, the, some of the skillful things this player does, is I do actually think and the more I think about it, the more sort of remarkable it is. If you're looking at a, a, a really good example of how to build a world through secondary characters that are like mm -hmm. very vivid and like realized, but somehow don't take the focus of the play away. Like, yeah. I actually think that like the crafting of that Greek guy and of like the four or five other people who live with him in these wards Right, the uh, O'Brien who happens to be Hispanic. Yeah, they're that was really, a tragic scene, wasn't it? With totally, them? they're really vivid. They're really realized. They're I, I think they're really well written characters. I think they're actually very well written characters, and I think skillfully they don't take like they they exist very well as background. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a greatly structured play. It's really well structured. Yeah. It's just not very good. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's I, I think it's the I think the whole. The, I mean, there's some. I think the whole is not very good, and most of the parts are not very good. But some of the parts are really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's that's a good way of putting it. But as a whole, I like. I was annoyed at it, but I also enjoyed it. Like, yeah, I enjoyed oh, reading it was, this. It was, it was an e- it was one of the easier reads. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's impossible to find. Um, Thank you. For yeah, it was the hardest and hardest to find so far, wasn't it? Which maybe says something. And like, no one's heard of it. It, it is like maybe the most like. And he's a Philadelphia playwright who completely, like, yeah, never heard his name in Philadelphia, right? And did you, did you read this, that the woman that played the wife died on stage? What? And it was her wife, his wife, right? Yeah. She died in, of in a In the revival. Hand. Yeah. A, a Broadway revival the second time, just a couple of years after died it was on first stage. produced. Wow. Died on stage. His wife. I wonder... I wonder how many guys in the audience jumped up and were like, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, none. none. Um, all right. Well, next week we are reading 1953's Picnic by William Inge. Um, all right. I, I don't know, but I really like Inge. Um, yeah. I'll give a shout out to Cameron Kelso. I don't think he's still listening, but um, he introduced me to his work uh, last year and I, I quite like it. So I'm excited to read this. Another repressed homosexual. Come back, little Sheba. Oh, I love that play. Um, uh, anyway, but until then, um, let's say goodnight. Good night, folks. Night.